0: You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in, and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. Well, that's all right. Y'all saw Jessica up here singing? Uh, She was singing that song Echo. Just pregnant. Just giving it her all. Her and her baby. Like, her baby is already coming to church. I think we're going to count the baby in our attendance. Can we do that? Whoever's counting, count Jessica's baby. That's what's up. But, uh... Man, I'm excited. How many of you guys came last week for the first time? Moms and Mimosas. This is a great time. All right. None of you. That's cool. It's, they didn't come back. They just came for the alcohol and that's it. How many of you came today? Like, hopefully I'll get alcohol today. Was that anybody else? Okay. Sorry to disappoint. You got to come back for Father's Day. We're doing a cookout. It's going to be a great, great time. It's uh, burgers and brews. And uh, we're going to do a cookout right here. It's going to be awesome. So... Um, how, many, how many people here are, uh, are in the military? Y'all are sailors. Anybody a sailor? Yeah? Okay, you make some noise or whatever. That's fine. Well, I'm not, I'm not a sailor, uh, but I'm pretty confident that I could navigate on the open sea um, because I've seen the movie Moana. Right? I mean, how many of you have seen Moana? It's a great movie. And the way that Maui teaches to, to be a wayfinder is you just kind of high-five the sky and look for some stars and constellations. And so I've seen the movie, so I'm pretty confident I can navigate in the open sea. Anybody want to sail with me? Yeah. All right, good. We will get lost. It'll be. But, but what's interesting to me is that the sailors use this way to, to navigate. It's called celestial navigation. And uh, what they do is they look for stars and constellations that, that guide them on their path. And uh, they use this this ancient method um, to chart out a, a course and and to go where they're going by using these stars and constellations as as guiding um, beacons in the light uh, in, in the sky, and um, just like sailors use stars and constellations in celestial navigation to to guide their path. Uh, we use words and phrases and quips and mantras to help guide us in life. And so there, there are various mantras and phrases that we go back to to help realign our path and remind us of the journey that we're on. And so um, there, there's all sorts of different phrases uh, that we use. One, one of the phrases... Uh, that we come back to over and over again, is teamwork makes the dream work. How many of you say this? And you've heard this in your workplace probably, right? And so it's this idea that no man is an island, that, that we're better together than apart. Together we can do this. We can accomplish anything as long as we're working together because one, two, three, teamwork makes the dream work. Let's go! How many of you guys are ready to go do something now, right? I mean, it just pumps you up. It gets you excited. Teamwork makes the dream work. Another, another phrase that, that we, we sometimes go back to and live our lives by is the phrase, if you believe it, you can achieve it, right? I mean, th- this is a phrase that I saw all throughout my elementary school career because it was a vision statement from my elementary school. They had it plastered all over the halls, all over the place. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And so there I was, this young kid in elementary school, and I'm like, I believe I can fly, like R. Kelly, right? Because th- th- the song was out, and I was like, I believe I can fly, and so I believed it, and I was going to achieve it, and so what I did in my school was I got up on the desk, and I just believed I can fly, and I jumped off the desk, but I didn't fly. Instead, I landed on Kenny, and, um, and the th- nobody saw it, right? But, but I, didn't, I didn't achieve it, even though I believed it. Uh, landed on him. And, and again, nobody saw it. And to this day, people still ask the question, who killed Kenny? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> but I won't tell them if you don't tell them. But but if you believe it, you can achieve it. That's a, that's a mantra we go back to over and over again. M- most likely, you've heard the phrase, keep calm and carry on, right? This is a phrase uh, that was introduced by the British government in 1939, to inspire the English during World War II. And so they just told the people of, of Great Britain, keep calm and carry on. And, and now here we are 70, 80 years later, and, and this mantra that was introduced in the, in, in the World War II era has now taken on a life of its own, and you've seen it all over the place on uh, bumper stickers and on T-shirts, but, it, but it's actually um, morphed into several different sayings. I wanna share some of my favorite ones with you. Here's this one, uh, keep calm and save the princess. Uh, Keep calm and use the force. Come on, somebody. Keep calm and call Batman. (laughs) Keep calm and kill it with fire. (laughs) And by the way, if you use anything other than fire to kill spiders, you are not using the correct method. Like, that is the only way to get rid of them. Burn the house down. (laughs) So keep calm. And carry on. And I love these phrases. And there's all these different phrases and mantras that we go back to and we live our lives by. And and, and they just help realign our path and our journey. They they guide us along the way. And so uh, another phrase is seize the day. And so maybe you live your life that way. Seize the day. During Obama's historical election year, uh, people rallied around and chanted the phrase, yes, we can. And then Trump rallied our nation around the phrase, make America great again. Uh, and then Nike encourages each and every one of us to just do what? Yeah, exactly. It. We have no idea what it is, but just do it, right? And so over and over again, we go back to this just do it. And then Arby's comes out with this phrase, we have the meats. Yes, right? It's like, come eat here because we have the meats. And so, so we organize our lives around these phrases, especially the Arby's phrase, um, but, but these are phrases that guide our life and, and, and keep us on this journey and remind us of, of where we're headed. And so if we ever get off, we just remember this phrase and we come back to it. And uh, one of the phrases that we've become obsessed with uh, as a church recently, we've just been centered on this phrase, is become greater. And uh, no doubt if you've, if you've come for a little bit, you've heard us say this phrase, that our goal is to help you become greater. We have it plastered over here on this banner. It's on the back of our sweatshirt that we have for sale at our swag table on the back. I think they're 30 bucks this month, too. So if you don't have a sweatshirt, make sure to get it. They're high quality. End of commercial. But become greater has been this phrase that we've just rallied around as a church. It, it's really become our vision statement. Like, like what do we want to do? We want to help you become greater. Because here's what I'm convinced. I'm convinced that God wants you to become greater. And, and I'm convinced that you want to become greater, right? I, I mean, each and every one of us we want to become greater in our lives. We want to go, uh, become a, a greater spouse. We want to become a, a greater husband, dad. Um, we want to become a, a greater person. We want to become greater in our finances. We want to go, become greater in our integrity. We want to become greater in our identity. Like in every area of our life, we want to become greater, And the reality is, uh, we know how we could be. And what I believe is that we should be what we could be. And God provides a path for us to get there. And what we've come to understand as a church is the only way that we can become greater is through Jesus, by following Jesus and doing what he said. And so what we want to do as a church is come alongside you and help you in your life become greater in everything. And actually, uh, one of the things that we're launching next month Uh, The month of June is this 4-week course called Becoming Greater, and we're going to offer this each and every week uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, and so uh, it's going to be right at the end of the Worship Experience, and we're going to invite you to take part of Becoming Greater. Again, it's a 4-week course, but when it ends, we're going to start it again, and we're going to start it again, and we're going to start it again, so it's going to be this ongoing course, and we're going to invite you um, to sign up and commit to be part of this 4-week course. And what we're going to talk about in that. Is, is our desire for you and what we wanna help you do as a church. The way that we help you grow is to help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's ultimately what we wanna do. We wanna help you know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And so uh, I wanna invite you to get in on the ground level of this course, Becoming Greater. It's gonna be after the worship experience every single Sunday. And again, we're gonna ask you to commit to go to all four weeks of it. And if you miss the first round, again, we're gonna do it all over again. But that's our hope and our goal is to help you become greater because I believe that's what God wants for each and every one of us. And um, today, I wanna to teach on just one aspect of how you can become greater. And this one aspect is something that Jesus actually taught 2,000 years ago. See, Jesus was a real person who lived 2,000 years ago. History backs that up. Uh, But not only was Jesus a real person, he was also God in the flesh. Like, Jesus was God himself. Jesus was the Son of God. And because of that, when we hear Jesus teach, when we look at the things Jesus said, we don't view him as just a prophet. We don't see Jesus as just some good guy who just gives us suggestions, right? And so when, when we look at the things Jesus teaches and the way that he talks and, and, and the life that he lays out for us, Jesus isn't coming to us saying, hey, I have this really great idea. Maybe you should try it out. When Jesus teaches stuff, he's not saying, hey, maybe if, if you have time and, and you agree with it and you think about it, maybe you should give this a shot and just kind of see what happens. No, when Jesus teaches and he talks about things, he's saying, listen, if you want to live life to the full, if you want to become greater, like I've called you to be, if you want to pull the potential I've placed in you, out of you, here's what you do. I'm laying out the steps. I'm teaching you the way to live. And so this is how we approach Jesus. And, and what Jesus did was not only did he teach these things, but he ultimately went to the cross to show his love for us. Jesus went to the cross, so he lived a perfect life, a life we can't live, ultimately to die the death that we deserve. And it was on the cross that Jesus forgave us of our sins and he invites us into that forgiveness. By the way, uh, at at the end of the sermon, when I'm finished talking, we're gonna have members from our VIP team come down and they're gonna pass out trays amongst the rows. Um, This is when we celebrate communion. And uh, in these trays are going to be stacks of cups. There's uh, a cup on the bottom that has some bread in it that reminds us of Jesus' body that's broken for us um, so that we could be forgiven. And then the top cup has some juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us so that we could have life. And I want to invite you, when communion is passed, feel free to take it if you want. And you can take it at any time that you'd like. Um, But Jesus died the death we deserve so that we could be forgiven. And we remember that each and every week through communion. Not only, though, did Jesus die, he rose again from the dead. Like... Like, you understand, when we gather like this, the thing that brings us together is not, my friends go there. Is not, that's a really cool place to have church. It's not, that preacher is so handsome and speaks eloquently. No, the reason why we gather is because of the resurrection. This is what we have in common. We believe that there is a risen Savior who conquered the grave, who defeated hell and death, so that we could have life. And that's what draws us together. That's why we gather together like this, because we believe In the resurrected Savior. This is why the early church got together. Because there was a man who was dead. He was buried for three days, and then he came back to life. That's something we're celebrating. That's something we're finding out more about. That's something we're rallying our lives around. Because what we know is that if Jesus rose, we too can rise. Not just one day, but here and now in our life. We can rise from the ashes of a crappy life to living life to the full if we follow Jesus. By the way, I wanna wanna give an opportunity today, if you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, you rose again from the dead, and because of that belief, I wanna follow you. Like, there's just something about you, Jesus, I need you, because I've tried to do life on my own, and it sucks. It's not working out for me. I mean, it's kind of okay, I got some good areas here and some bad areas here, but, but Jesus, I desperately, need you, I want to follow you. If you've never made the decision to say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross, and because of that, I want to follow you, and I want to meet you in the waters of baptism, for my old life to be buried, for me to come up a brand new creation and enter into a relationship with you. If you've never made that decision, I want to invite you to make that decision today. When you came in, you received a a note card, and at the bottom of that note card is a connect card. On the back of that, there's a box, that's the most important box you ever check in your life. It says, I want to know more about baptism. If you're ready to make that decision, to say yes to Jesus, maybe you've heard about Jesus, maybe you know about Jesus, maybe you have this, this touch-and-go relationship with Jesus, but you're ready to say yes to him, to commit, to go all in with him, would you check that box, fill out that card, drop it off at the black tables? We've got people there who would love to talk to you about the decision and set you up to get baptized next month. We'd love to hear your story, and we'd love to just, just kind of know what God is doing in your life. And so if you're ready to make that decision, drop off the cards uh, at, the, at the black tables before you exit today. Um, but Jesus rose again from the dead so that you and I could have life. And I don't know about you, but if somebody rises from the dead, I want to hear what they have to say, right? Right? Like, like, I want to hear what that guy has to say. I want to learn from the guy who rose from the dead. Because if he's powerful like that, if he's able to do that, maybe he has some insight for me. And so Jesus proved that he was a son of God, that he was God in the flesh, by raising again from the dead. And because Jesus was a son of God, we should listen to what he said, because it means that he knows how we should live. And there's this one instance in his ministry, actually there's several instances in his ministry 2,000 years ago, where Jesus over and over again teaches people how to become greater. And I want to show you today uh, the lesson that he teaches to help us understand how to become greater. Uh, it's actually, there's this time, it's, it's, um, it's his last meal uh, at the end of his ministry. See, Jesus... Um, started this ministry, it was a three-year ministry where he went public and he was teaching people and healing people and helping people, and uh, when he started his ministry, uh, he, he got a 12-man staff around him, so, so, so he gets these guys who are like his crew, his disciples, his followers, and he says, okay, you guys are my staff and I'm going to teach you, you're going to learn from me, because eventually you're going to carry on what's going on here. Now, when his disciples get around Jesus, they have a misconception about why Jesus came, See, they think that Jesus was here to overthrow the Roman government. This is the time Jesus lived. They thought he was going to overthrow the Roman government. They they thought Jesus came because he kept talking about setting up this kingdom of heaven. And so in their mind, they were thinking, okay, great. He's going to set up this brand new kingdom here on earth. He's going to overthrow Rome, and then we're going to rule with him. This is going to be great and amazing. But they misunderstood why Jesus came. See, Jesus came here not, not to... Not to rule Rome, but he came here to be the leader of our lives. Jesus came here not to overthrow the government, but he came to overthrow the power of sin and death in our lives so that we could experience life to the full. This is why Jesus came. And so when he talks about setting up the kingdom of heaven, he's he's really talking about, I want to bring this heaven-like life here to earth so you know what it looks like to live like heaven. And then he teaches us how to do that, and that's what we experience as the church. See, as the church, we're a bunch of mess-ups and screw-ups and people who don't get it together, but we realize our need for Jesus. We realize, I don't have it all together, and because of that, I need Jesus. That's what we all have in common, not only the resurrection, but our jacked upness right? I mean, each and every one of us, we don't have it together. I need Jesus, and he teaches me how to live. He teaches me how to love. He teaches me how to forgive. He teaches me what I'm lacking, and he makes me new. He changes me and transforms me. That's why I'm a part of this. See, this is what Jesus came to set up, the, the kingdom of heaven. But his disciples thought, no, he's setting up this earthly kingdom. And because of that, there was this jockeying for position amongst his disciples. See, they were all trying to be great. They are all trying to rise. They all wanted to be Jesus' secondhand man. Because when Jesus takes over, I'm going to have power too. I'm going to be able to rule with him. They misunderstood why he came. And uh, Jesus takes this understanding that they have about rising to greatness, being second in command, ruling over people. He, he takes this journey of greatness and he inverts it to teach us how to really become great. And so here's, here's what happens um, in John chapter 13. It's recorded um, at Jesus' final meal, it's known as the Last Supper. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. And so Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. Do you know what all things means? All things, yeah. So Jesus is there. He's at this dinner table with his staff, and he knows in this moment who he is. He's confident in his identity, and he knows that all things in heaven and on earth have been placed under him. This means that Jesus is the greatest person in the world. Jesus is the most important person in the room. you got to understand that. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and he had come from God and he was returning to God. He's bigger at this moment than any king. He's bigger than any CEO. He's bigger than any Caesar. He is the most important person in the room. The greatest person in all earth. The wisest, the most powerful, all things are put under his power. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, because of this, because he knew this, because he understood who he was, because he understood his identity, because he understood his position as powerful. Here's what he did. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Pause right here. This is weird. Right? I mean, it's weird for us if somebody just gets up from the dinner table and begins to wash our feet. That's, that's weird. And it's disgusting. See, back then for Jesus, it's not like feet were any less disgusting. It's still disgusting, right? But it was less weird for them because this was a custom that they had back then. See, see back then, people walked places they went. I mean, people walk today, I mean, walking is still a thing. So, but back then, people walked where they went, and, and their fashion choice was, was sandals, right? And so they would wear sandals on their feet, they would walk where they're going, and they're walking along uh, dirt roads. And so as they walk along dirt roads, and you've experienced this, if you've worn flip-flops before and you've walked on dirt roads, what happens is their feet begin to get caked with dust and dirt. And so when they, when they get to wherever they're going, uh, a house or, or whatever, it was customary For them to take their shoes off and for the servant or the children of the household to wash the feet of the guests. And so servants or children of the house, whoever had the lowest standing in the house, it was their job to wash the feet of the guests. It was was a task that was reserved for someone who was lowly. And what happens here is Jesus and his disciples show up at this house. They're guests in this house, but nobody washes their feet. Evidently, there is no servant. Evidently, there is no, no child there who can wash their feet. And the disciples are so prideful, they don't wash their own feet. And so what they do is they go to the dinner table with dirty feet. Because here's, here, here's why. When they walk into the room and no one's there to wash the feet, the question is, who's the lowest among us? Okay, so here here, here all of us are, the 13 of us. Who is the lowest among us? Well, it's not Jesus. I mean, he's he's like the one that we should be serving, and so it's not him, but, but out of all of us, who's the lowest? Who's gonna stoop to wash the feet? And nobody does it. None of Jesus' followers stoops to serve. Instead, Jesus' followers sit at the table Because they prefer to be served than to serve. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a follower of Jesus preferring to be served than to serve? I mean, if you know Jesus, that doesn't make any sense because Jesus is the servant of all. Why would his followers choose to be served and not serve? But this is what his disciples do they don't get it. They think their existence is to be served. They want to rise to power. I want to become great, and the way that I become great is I rise to power. I don't stoop and serve. That's not how you become great. Only servants do that. Jesus' followers would rather be served than serve. And I imagine Jesus is there at the table. He looks around, and he sees this, and he shakes his head. He's like, you guys still don't get it. I wonder if Jesus looks at his church today and shakes his head and says, you guys still don't get it. So what he does is he gets up from the table, takes off his outer cloak, wraps a towel around his waist, and he washes his disciples' feet. And when he had finished, John 13, verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, it's mm, good. I won't tell y'all what's in here. Don't worry about it. When he had finished, it's just water. Or is it? When he had finished washing their feet, He put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. I am your Lord. I am your teacher. I am the most important person in the room. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have stooped low to serve you by washing your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What should I do in this situation? What did Jesus do? I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You will be blessed if you do them. Listen, I don't want you to get caught up in the actual literal act of washing feet. What Jesus is teaching his disciples is that I am greater than you, but I have stooped low to serve you. Servant leadership. And if you want to become greater, then you stoop low as well and serve other people. And when you do this, you will be blessed. You will find a blessing when you stoop to serve So what Jesus is saying is if you serve others, you will be blessed. If you want a blessing in your life, serve. You want to live the blessed life, pour yourself out for others. Help others. And it's so true. You can test this. If you want a blessed marriage, serve your spouse. You want a blessing with your kids, serve them. You want a blessing in work, serve your clients. Serve your customers. Serve your employees. If you want blessed friendships, serve your friends. You want to be a part of a blessed church, serve. Jesus said you will be blessed if you do these things. See, sometimes we're chasing a blessing and we're not getting it because we're not doing the things Jesus told us to do. You will be blessed. If you do these things, this is, this is a promise, not a suggestion. And here's how Jesus explained the concept another time to his followers, Mark 10, 43. He said, not so with you. Not so with you. Not so with us. And said, whoever wants to become great among you. All right, here we go. How do we become great? What's the path towards greatness? Become greater. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, the most important person in the room, the greatest person in the world, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the path to greatness, according to Jesus, is to be a servant. Not to be served, but to serve. Not to consume, but to contribute. Not to sit on the sidelines, but to get in the game and help others. Martin Luther King Jr. said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. He said, you don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. But when we serve, we got to do it from a motivation of love and grace. Listen, you want to grow in your faith? Serve other people. Because when you serve other people, what it does is it builds humility in you. When you serve other people, you want to become greater? What it does is it reminds you that this life is not about you that there are things that are greater than you. When you serve, what it does is it reminds you that you are helping someone else. You are adding value to someone else's life. You are making a difference. And we all know that when we begin to live for ourselves, there's this discontent there. And we start to wonder, is there something more to life than just me, 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 me? When we serve, it grows our faith because we grow in humility. Our pride dissipates and we realize there's something way more bigger than what's going on in this world than just me. When we serve, we grow. But again, when you serve, you can't do it out of religious obligation. You can't do it out of moral duty. You gotta do it out of a heart filled with love and grace. And here's the thing, if you don't have a heart filled with love and grace right now, start serving and saying, God, pour that into me. Show me that. Teach me what it looks like to do that. And as you begin to serve, you begin to see it not as an obligation, but an opportunity. You begin to see it as something I get to do, not something I have to do. Because when I do this, love begins to well up in me, grace begins to overflow from me because I'm not living for myself anymore. Humility is just getting deep inside my bones. Like, like, like I'm just learning there's something more going on here. And it's a privilege, it's an honor for me to serve like this, and when you do that, you become great. You may not rise to power, you may not gain a platform, but if you ever wanna rise to power, if you do wanna gain a platform, be faithful with what's in front of you. Serve well with what's in your hands. Give that your all, and as you prove faithful with what's in front of you, more will be given to you. But it begins by serving. And Jesus' disciples, they didn't get it. See, they wanted to, to be served at the table rather than serve. And, and I understand their mindset, right? I mean, you understand it. Because it's easier to be served. It's easier for me to sit back and have somebody wait on me. I mean, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to exert any effort. I don't have to battle with some of the, 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 the garbage in my own life. I can just sit back and you serve me and I'm good. But, but Jesus said, no, no, no. If you're going to follow me, and you wanna become great, you gotta be a servant. It's a paradox for someone to be a Christian and not serve, right? It just just doesn't work that way. Hey, what are you doing? I'm following Jesus, I wanna be more like him. Well then how come you're not serving your spouse? Well how come you're not serving your kids? How come come you're talking bad about your boss behind their back? If you wanna be more like Jesus, serve people, right? I remember, when I became a Christian, I was, I was 13 years old when I became a Christian. And uh, I was going to this church that met in a middle school at the time. And uh, we had this one teen area, we called it Teen Church, really clever. And we met in this cafeteria of a middle school. Um, I lived in Norfolk at the time, the school was in Kimsville. And so I would drive out to um, there or, or get a ride there. And um, and what I realized was when we met at this middle school, like, like I went into the cafeteria, And there was all this stuff set up. There were sound and lights and chairs and all this stuff. And I realized very quickly that um, somebody set all this up. Like this stuff wasn't just set up throughout the week at the middle school. But people came in early and they moved tables aside and they moved chairs aside. And they set all this up so that we could enjoy this environment. And so what I decided as as, as a young Christian, just, just as a teenager, was I want to get involved in that. I want to make a difference, I want to help out with, with creating this environment so that other teens, like myself, could meet God and be changed, and so I wanted to get involved in that. So I signed up, I started, I started serving, I started setting up, and uh, I did that throughout throughout my high school career. And then um, when I went to college, um, I, I did several different internships at different churches, um... But I, I ended up landing at one church where I was just going to, like, I wasn't on staff or anything like that. But I was going to it, and, and this was a church I'd met in a high school. And so all my life, I've been part of these portable churches, right? And so here we set up and tear down, and, and sometimes people think, "Is that hard? Not for me. I've just been part. This is this is normal to me." But but when I was in high school. Uh, we met at this, uh, or yeah, w- when I was in college, I went to this church I met in this high school. And so uh, I remember I went to the creative arts pastor there. I mean, I just started going to this church. I wasn't on staff, wasn't getting paid, wasn't any of that stuff. And I went to him and said, hey, I want to get involved. I want to help out. Um, I'd love to help out with running sound and, and running lights. And here's what the creative arts pastor told me. Uh, he said, okay, how about, how about instead you just come and help set up? That's not what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was run sound and lights, but what he was saying is, how about you come set up? So I said, okay, I'll do that. So what I did was I showed up early in the morning every single week, not every other week, but every single week, I would show up early in the morning, I would help set up, I would sit through both services, and then I'd help tear down. I did this every single week. But this is not what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do was help run sound and run lights, but what I was asked to do was help set up. I wanted to run sound, but instead I was running cables. I wanted to run lights, but instead I was untangling wires. But that's what was asked of me. And I said, hey, I'm here to serve. Whatever you want me to do, I'm there. And I did that, and, and, and I found out later, when I talked to him, he said, the reason why I asked you if you would just come and set up, because I wanted to see if you would even do it. I wanted to see where your heart was. Because what happens is, is sometimes people will we'll say, I want to serve in this specific area, and if I can't serve in that area, then never mind. No, 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 no. He, he said, I wanted to see where your heart was. I wanted to see, would you come and do the grunt work? Would you do the thing nobody else wanted to do? And, and here's the thing. When you do the crap nobody else wants to do, it produces character in you, right? Because it forces you to be humble. It forces you to remind yourself, it's not about me but it's about how can I contribute to the greater good? What can I do to make a difference? Wherever you need me, I'm there. It changes your attitude. When you gotta do the crap nobody else wants to do, do you do it with joy? Do you do it with expectation? Or do you do it complaining? Hey, you wanna grow in your faith, this is how you do it. It's tough. I'm I'm not getting much amens on this. This is a silent crowd. In this sermon, good God, maybe I need, I don't know what I need to preach on next week to get more of a response, but I just want to teach you how to become greater. When you do the crap nobody else wants to do, it, it produces character in you. I have a, I have a friend of mine who's, who's a pastor, and um, he told me about this time where he, he was going to this church, and he's a great public speaker, but he, he was going to this church, and he, he went to him and he said, hey, um, hey I, I, I want to get involved, I want to start helping, how can I help? I mean, he wasn't on staff, he wasn't, in, he just said, how can I help, what can I do? Like, so, so, so I'm, I'm in Bible college, I'm, I'm, I'm learning, I'm teaching, I'm, I'm a pretty good public speaker, and it's to my own horn, but you know, I'm pretty good, and so where can I help? Like, do you need help leading a group, do you need help teaching some stuff, what can I do? You know what the church told him to do? Fold bulletins. That's what, we would love for you to fold bulletins. He said, okay, cool, I'll fold bulletins. What else can I do? You need me to lead a group? You need me to teach something? They said, no, no, just fold bulletins. That's what I want you to do. And for two years, that's what that guy did every single week. He showed up in folded bulletins. You know why? Because that's what they asked him to do. Hey, are you a servant? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Are you willing to do whatever is asked of you? You want to become greater? Be the servant of all. See, what typically happens in a church setting like that is people will come and say, hey, I want to do this. Actually, we'd love for you to clean up the trash cans. And then the response is, I'm leaving. I'm going to some other church because they're not using my gifts fully. You don't need a gift to clean out trash cans. You need a gift of humility. Not everybody wants to embrace that. Doing the crap nobody wants to do produces character in you. I'm giving you pearls here. Right? (laughs) But that's what happens. Well, they're not using my gift. I'm not gifted in that. I don't want to do that. I'd rather. It doesn't matter. Here's what Jesus did. He sat at a table. He saw dirty, stinky feet, and he said, I'm the most important person in the room. I'm the greatest person in the world, but there's some dirty feet here, so I guess that's what I'm doing. I'm washing feet. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm a great orator. I'm a great teacher. I want to do this instead. He said, there's a need there, and I'll stoop low to serve no matter what. I'll do whatever it takes. When you see feet that need to get washed, well, I guess we're washing feet today. Nothing is beneath you. You're willing to do it all. You want to become greater? Jesus said the pathway is through serving. But his disciples, men, his followers, they didn't get it. They were sitting at this table. They wanted to be served. They wanted to be served. I want to become greater. Jesus said, no, you don't get it. And the sad thing is this, is this is the third year of his ministry. He's about to be betrayed, arrested, crucified, and killed. And his disciples, his followers, who have been with him for three years, still don't get this lesson of being a servant. And what's tragic about this is Jesus taught this in the very beginning of his ministry. I love the first miracle Jesus ever performed. It's found in John chapter 2. I want to I show you this miracle that Jesus performs. John chapter 2, verse 1. Oh, I love this. It's so great. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And what we're going to see in this miracle is Jesus teaching us what can be accomplished, how we can become great if we stoop to be servants. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, how many of you know that's a problem? When the wine is gone, the party is crashing. This is not a good thing. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. No, I don't think she said it that way. Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why dost thou involvest me? he no, didn't say. But hey, Mary, why, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Mary, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not going to get involved with this. I don't, I don't care if they have wine or not. It doesn't matter. But Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. It's like she ignores what Jesus is saying. Uh, you're going to get involved in this. Do whatever he tells you to do. Mary goes to the servants who are there at this, at this wedding banquet, and they say, hey, hey, do whatever Jesus tells you to do. By the way, can I just stop and let you know that's the best advice I could give you? Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do. But here's what you need to understand, and I appreciate that. Yep, yeah, that's great. But sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that don't make sense. Sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that are difficult. The path to greatness is simple. It's it's become a servant, but it's hard. It's difficult to do that. Do whatever Jesus tells you to do, even though it might not make sense, even though it might be difficult. And here's what happens. It says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I think this is a 20-gallon trash can. Does anybody know? It's either 20 or 30. But the jars, thanks, but the jars... Would have been like this size. And he says, Okay, I see I see some I see some jars. I see some jars. Here here's what I want you to do. Jesus said to his servants, verse seven, fill the jars with water. Hey, hey, Jesus. They don't have any more wine at the wedding. And so I got these servants here. They're going to do whatever you tell them to do. So tell them what your idea is. Jesus looks over and he says, oh, I got it. Here's these jars. Here's what I want you servants to do. I want you to take these jars and I want you to fill them with water. What? Fill it with water? Jesus, we don't need water. We're out of wine. We have plenty of Of water. It makes sense if you say fill it with wine, but we don't need water. Sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that don't make sense. Wait, wait, wait. So hold on. You wake up how early on Sunday morning to go to that church that meets at a concert venue? And then you set up pipe and drape? And wait, hold on, you serve in a kids' ministry where you invest in people's kids who aren't even yours? Wait, and you don't even get paid to do that? Wait, hold on, how much of your money do you give back to God? 10%? Wouldn't you have more of it if you just kept? Sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that don't make sense. Take the jars and fill them with water. We don't need water, Jesus, we need wine. And sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that are difficult. Take the jars and fill them with water. How many of you know that the servants couldn't take the jar over to the spigot and turn it on and fill it up? No, instead, they had to take these jars over to wherever the well is 20, 30, 50 yards, 100 yards away, we don't know where, they had to take the jars over to where the well was, they had to lower the bucket down into the well, bring the bucket up, dump the water, lower the bucket down into the well, bring the bucket up, dump the water, lower the bucket down into the well, bring the water up, dump it. Over and over again, just to fill one jar. And then, and then they had to pick up the jar and carry it back over to Jesus. That's hard work. Sometimes Jesus tells us to do things that are difficult. You know, the set that you just heard this morning from our band, this isn't the first time they got up here and played this, but they've been practicing for a month on this. They practice a month in advance, and then they get together on Tuesday and rehearse again, and then on Sunday morning, they get together and they rehearse again. So what you hear on Sunday morning takes a lot of work and effort and practice just to produce this. When we come and we set this up, we got people who are carrying pipe and drape down three flights of stairs to bring it down. And it's heavy. It's hard work. We got people who hang out with your kids. And trust me, that's hard work because I've seen some of your kids. But they invest in your kids like that. But not only do they give up time during the worship experience to invest in kids, but throughout the week they're looking over the curriculum to see what I need to teach them and how can I make it memorable for these kids because I'm investing in them. I'm pouring into them. I'm helping shape their future and mold their lives. It's difficult work. But it's worth it, because Mary said, do whatever he told you. Do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus said, okay, fill the jars with water. Here's what's so amazing to me. So they filled them. So they filled them. Do you understand? Sometimes I talk with people, Hey, pastor, what should I do in this? What should I do? Well, here's what scripture says. Here's what God says. You should do this. I stand on the stage, and I say, here's how God's calling us to become greater. Do this. And then we leave, and it's like, well, I'll think about that. Hey, how come my life's... Because you're not doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, fill the jars with water. Okay. So they filled them. It's that simple. So they filled them. But I love the attitude with which they filled it. Ah, I love the way that... So they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. When they're filling the jars, they do it with excellence. They don't get three quarters of the way and say, that's good enough. They fill them to the brim. That means they do it with excellence. They go all in with it. They do it with joy. Jesus told us to do it, so we'll do it to our best. They fill it to the brim. And then they bring the jars over to Jesus. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Excuse me, Jesus. Um, We drew water in the jars and we need more wine. And uh, the, the, the servants don't do that. They did so. That's the next line. They did so. Okay. That's what Jesus said to do. That's what we'll do. Now throw on the mountain takes them to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from. That the servants who had drawn the water, that the servants who had drawn the water, that the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine when the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. I love this. What does God think about drinking? Apparently he loves it because Jesus made the best wine at the wedding. Well, the wine back then was mostly watered down. Not this stuff according to the master of the banquet. He said, this is good. But here's, here's what I love about this. He said, Fill the jars with water. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And the water changes to wine. For many people, when they imagine this, this miracle, they think that um, the water is, is changing to wine, uh, like Jesus just waves his hand over the jar and it changes to wine in the jar. And so they draw it out and there's wine and they put it in the cup. But that's not what the text says. See, the narrative said, Jesus said, Now, now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. Verse 9, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the wine knew. No, it doesn't say that. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Jesus said, draw some out. The liquid they draw out from the jar and put in the cup is water. Now take it to the master of the banquet. Uh, Yep, still water. But okay. And so what the servants do is they go, let's go take it to the master of the banquet. And then they they get to him, say, here you go. Don't take it. I drank from it. You don't want (laughs) to. They give it to him. He sips it. And what does he drink? Wine. Because he says, oh, dear. Mm, This is good. When does the water change into wine? Not in the jar, not with Jesus waving his hand over it. The miracle takes place in the hands of the servants. As the servants do what Jesus tells them to do, a miracle takes place in their hands. What amazes me is that Jesus chooses to involve us in his work. He doesn't have to use these servants. He could snap his fingers and change everything just like that. But instead he says, okay, I wonder who's willing to fetch water. I wonder who's willing to grab a jar. I wonder who's willing to do some heavy lifting. I wonder who's willing to do the thing that doesn't make sense so that I can accomplish something even greater in them and through them. It's in the hands of the servant that the miracle takes place. When you serve, miracles take place. In the scriptures, wine is a metaphor for the Spirit of God. Because the servants did what Jesus told them to do, because they fetched water, because they did some heavy lifting, because they did the thing that didn't make sense, what it means is that there's more wine now to flow at the wedding wine is a metaphor for the Spirit of God. When you serve, when you pour yourselves out in service to others, it allows the Spirit of God to move in even greater ways than we could ever imagine. So you want to see a Spirit-led church, whatever that means, of course we're Spirit-led, then serve. If you want to see God do blessings, uncomparable to anything you could ever imagine, pour yourself out and serve. When you serve, miracles happen. The Spirit of God moves in greater ways than we could ever imagine. Marriages are healed. Lives are changed. People discover hope. I got a little bit of a clap. But most of it was because you're like, but I don't want to carry water. I just want to hear a good sermon. You want to see a move of God take place in your midst? Rise up and serve. That's when the Spirit of God flows like crazy. We see it right here in John chapter 2. You know, I always wondered, I always wondered why Jesus did this. I mean, Jesus didn't do this miracle to help the bridegroom out. He, he didn't do this miracle to, to let us know that drinking is okay because it is, because, again, he makes the best wine ever. But why did Jesus choose to do this miracle? And I've, I've taught this, this passage for years to all the people who serve in our church to, to talk about the importance of serving, and here's what happens when you serve. But, but I just recently saw this a few weeks ago when I was working on this sermon, um, and I connected it to to the the Last Supper of Jesus. And and, and I think the reason why Jesus engages in this miracle at all, because he tells his mom, listen, this doesn't have anything to do with me, but I think the reason why he says yes to it is because of John chapter two. John chapter two, verse two. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. Who's at the wedding? Jesus' disciples. Mary comes to him, we don't have any more wine, I need you to do something. Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna get involved in it. But as Jesus is saying this, I just imagine, he looks over and he sees his disciples all over there like at the buffet, trying to get served and trying to get fat and trying to get fed and and, and they're loading up on wine. And and he says, you know what, on second thought, on second thought, mom, I will do it. Because I gotta teach them something. I gotta teach my staff, I gotta teach my followers, I gotta teach my disciples what it means to serve. So you know what, I will. And then he offers this object lesson to them so that they can see what happens when they choose to serve. Greater things take place. But here's what amazes me. The disciples see this, Jesus' first miracle. Three years later, they still don't get it. Three years later, they're sitting at the table with dirty feet, like, who's going to serve me? Imagine Jesus gives a sigh as he gets up, and he says, all right, I'll teach you one more time. And he gets down and begins to wash their feet and he says, listen, if you want to become great, said it over and over again, the way you do it is to be the servant of all. I wonder, husband, how do you need to serve your wife better this week? Because I guarantee you, when you start to do that, the marriage you long for will happen. Mom, dad, how do you need to serve your kids better this week? Do you need to just put the phone down and look at them and listen to them and say, tell me more? I guarantee you, when you begin to serve your kids better, I know it's hard. I know sometimes their stories don't make sense. <laughs> you will be a better parent, and you will raise a better family. How do you need to serve your job better? I guarantee you going in and complaining and complaining, Seeing it as a drag is not going to help you or your employer or your job accomplish their mission, but when you begin to serve, you'll see doors of opportunity open for you. How do you need to serve better? I wonder, how do you need to serve within this church? I'm going to give you an opportunity in in a moment when I'm I'm done speaking, and I'm almost done. Don't look at your watch. I'm almost done. I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, okay, I'll carry some water. I'll, I'll go fetch some water. We have this process in our church when people start serving um, where we ask you to shadow. And so what what we ask people to do is sign up just to shadow. And so I'm not even asking you to sign up for a commitment. I'm not even asking you to, to give of yourself and serve or join a team or any of that stuff. I'm just gonna ask you, would you commit to shadow in an area just to see what goes on? Just to see what, what's an area where, where I can um, possibly get plugged in? What's an area that, that I can... Carry some water. And, and, and we wanna plug you into a place that where you're gonna thrive and excel and a place that you're gonna love. But we might ask you to do some difficult things as well. But in a moment, I'm gonna ask you, if you're ready to, to say, okay, I'll shadow. I'm not making a commitment, I just wanna shadow in an area. We, we have these, We have these trash cans up here. I'm gonna ask you in a moment to come down and grab hold of one of these trash cans. As a symbol, as a way to say, "Okay, I'll, I'll shadow. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll give it a shot." But but before I give you that moment, it's going to be a big moment. It's going to be great. Band's going to get big. It's going to be yeah. But before we get there, I want to I want to show you how not to be. I don't I don't want you to be like me in this moment. See, what I mean is, several weeks ago, my daughter came home with this flyer from her school about their spring. Carnival, and uh, here's, here's what the, the flyer said. I said, Spring Carnival. We're hosting our annual Spring Carnival on Saturday, May 11th, and we need you. We need your time and donations. Sign up to help by sending an email to, and then it gives an email address, and then in big, funny font, it says, we need you. Do you know what I did when I read that flyer? I don't care. I'm not serving at the carnival. I know they say they need me. I know they say they need donations. But I'm not going to serve at it, and I'm not going to give anything to it, because I'm sure it's going to be great. They're going to do it without me. With or without me, the carnival will go on. Now, some people might have to work harder, but it's going to happen. They might not be able to do some things because I didn't give any donations or anything, but it's still going to happen. And our family's still going to go to it. And we're still going to have fun. But I'm not contributing to it because other people will do it. I think we have this idea when it comes to the church. I'm going to show up. I'll sit. But I don't need to contribute. I mean, things seem to be going pretty well without me. Why should I give? Things seem to be going pretty well without me. It's still going to happen. And you're right. Church is going to go on next week. We're going to be here next week. We're starting a brand new series next week, so it's going to be awesome. Things are still going to go on without you. But they won't be as good without you. Because without you, we miss the gift that is you. God has designed you in a unique way. He's given you a personality, an attitude, a skill set, and some gifts so that you could use those to pour out into others and to make a difference in the lives of others. But not just make a difference in the lives of others, become greater in your own life by embracing humility, discovering some things about you, and living beyond yourself. Yes, church is going to go on with or without you, but we miss out on the gift that is you. And we can never become as great as we could be without you being involved. So don't be like me. Don't hear this and toss it aside and not do anything. But be a person who comes and grabs hold and says, I'm ready to shadow. I'll gather some water. Jesus, you need me to get some water, I'll do it. Mary said, do whatever he tells you to do. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it requires work, but I wanna ask you right now, this is your moment, are you willing to fetch some water? Are you willing to come up, grab hold of a bucket, and say, I'll be somebody to shadow, I'll be someone to start serving, I'll be someone to give back. Good God, don't leave me up here all by myself, setting this thing up, and it doesn't happen. If you're ready to shadow, if you're ready to say, I'll grab some water, I'll go to the well, I'll, I'll fill it up to the brim, I'll do what it takes, because I want to become greater. I don't want to live for myself any longer, I want to live in your purpose, God, I want to show To grab a bucket, we got some water to fetch. We got some water to get because when you pour yourself out, God moves in a great way in your life and in His church. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires, challenges, and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.